Hello and welcome to today's broadcast. I trust that you are keeping well and safe at home. Let me say to all believers who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you and your family and home from the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ. May his peace be with you at this time. Last week I spoke to you in our series of Possessing the Spirit of Understanding. Now, truth, our truth now has been labelled as post-truth. Wow. Post-truth, if you remember from last week, was something that has been a new word now that has been accepted. The Oxford Dictionary uh, in 2016 put this new word into uh, its uh, dictionary and it said post-truth. Now, post-truth is something that has been elevate or something that elevates itself above something that has been historically uh, believed as a truth and as a fact. And it's something that has now been elevated above widespread truth, basically by people's subjective feelings, their opinions. And what happens is, is they replace these things by a word we now know as relativism. Relativism, which means there are no longer principles or a code to, to guide us in our conscience morally. And therefore, my opinion, your opinion of how things make me feel now become the highest order. So it's people's subjective feelings, their opinions that elevate themselves above what truth is. So truth now is no longer the standard that keeps everybody in check. It's now something that how it makes me feel. It's interpreted based on how it makes me feel. Now, how crazy is that? This week, we've seen right across the nations just how people's thoughts, feelings of racism and how people feel their actions are justified to do whatever they want and how they want and get their message across. And somehow the message has been lost in the midst of all the actions and all the things that's been spoken. There is a real issue in the midst of all this, but somehow people's opinions, their thoughts are elevated above the real story here. Well... Despite all this nonsense that's going on, Scripture makes a profound statement, and it's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. A profound statement. It says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. All over the world. What's this? All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood That God's grace in all its truth, all over the world. Let's just pick up some key things here. The first thing is all over the world. In other words, there's not a place, irrespective of post-truth, irrespective of people's opinions, irrespective of all these things that have been elevated above and beyond, all over the world the gospel is still being preached. It's reaching the entire world, irrespective of regimes, irrespective sorry, of politics, people's opinion, people's religious opposition. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that mandate has never left the church. And therefore, as long as that mandate continues, we will never be subject to post-truth. 
our culture will never become a subjective, uh, or I should say subject to a post-truth world. Because our truth goes beyond. Our truth is the truth. The next thing we see is the gospel. This is the very message we carry. The gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. It's one message with two emphases. There is the gospel of salvation. Repent, believe, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of salvation. But that gospel of salvation is then part of a bigger message, which is the gospel of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Love the Lord God with all your heart and all your mind. Advance the kingdom. It's a big, it's a big, uh, much bigger emphasis than just the gospel of salvation. Then we see the the next thing we see in in this word in Colossians is, it's bearing fruit and it's growing. So it's not just a message that's being propagated, it's actually bearing fruit and it's growing. Now post-truth will tell you that we are now dinosaurs, our truth is no longer building momentum. Well I beg to differ. The Bible is still the best-selling book in the world and it's still the most important book on the face of planet earth. Why? Because God created it that way. But here it's bearing fruit and growing. But let me just stop you right there. It's not enough for it to be growing in another nation. It's not enough for it to be bearing fruit in somebody else's vineyard. It must be bearing fruit inside you, the believer. It must be growing and you must be bearing fruit. It's not enough to read that so many thousands of Christians in China are coming to the Lord. That's wonderful news. And God bless China. But what about you who's receiving it today? You who are looking at this broadcast today and who consider yourself as a believer. Is this gospel bearing fruit in you and growing? Because if it's not, you're caught up in a post-truth. The truth that brought you to the cross is no longer enough. You must keep on growing and growing and growing and it must keep on growing in you and must keep bearing fruit in you because if it's not, you're in now a post-truth culture. Then it says, since the day you heard it, that was the beginning, that's the day, the day that truth come to your life is the day you heard it. The moment a nation receives the truth, that may be the start, but that is not the finish. This is the problem with so many Christians. You bring them to the cross, they repent, they give their lives to Jesus, and it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. But that's only the starting line. That's called introduction. That's not the full totality because there's a race to be run. There's a faith to be kept. There's a gospel to be preached. There's a work to be done. So the day you heard it, you received it. The day you received it, Now deepened, you need to be deepened and developed in this word in order for it to bear fruit. So the last thing we see in that scripture of Colossians 1, 6 is understanding God's grace. So let me just read that little, the last part. It says, since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. God's grace is encapsulated in all its truth. The grace of God is part of the truth of God. If you want to know the truth of God, you must discover the grace of God. And as you discover the grace of God, you understand the power of the truth of God. And this truth and this grace must be understood. We come back to our title of the spirit of understanding. But today, I want to talk to you about seatbelt, seatbelt truth and the power and importance of seatbelt truth.
We'll get to that in a minute, but I want to make some other comments first. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, we see there is two spirits mentioned, yet there is only one truth. There are two spirits in play, but there's only one truth. Let's see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world. There's one spirit. But the spirit who is from God, there's another spirit. We, we have not received the spirit of the world. That's one spirit with one message, with one emphasis. But we, we have received the spirit who is from God, who is from God. That's truth. That's another spirit. That we may understand what God has freely given to us. It says, this is what we speak, but not in words taught to us by social media, not in words taught to us by the internet or by the news media or by people's opinions, people's projections, people's philosophies and ideals. No, 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 no. That's not the, the truth that we were taught. We, this is not the truth. He says this. We, are not, uh, we don't speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the Spirit. What Spirit? The Spirit who is from God. So there is two spirits speaking. There's one in us and there's one around us. And the one in us is greater than the one who is around us. Because the one in us is, is given to us from God. But the one around us comes from the principalities and powers of this, of this world. He comes from the pit of hell himself. Watch this. It says, let me go back to the beginning of this scripture. Just get its context for you both, uh, for you all, I should say. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12. We have not received the spirit of the world. One spirit, but the spirit is from God, the Holy Spirit, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, but not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Truth, truth is a substance which then is released through words. Truth. And words go together. Watch this. The man without the spirit. In other words, the nation, the philosopher, the ideal, the opinion, the person, the teacher. Who does not accept the things that come from the spirit. From the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. So in other words, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. In other words... The truth and the understanding that come from the truth, they don't accept it. Why? Because it's replaced by their opinions, their ideologies, their philosophies, their subjective feelings. They put them and they elevate them above our truth. So they think. But for they are foolishness to him who, who does that. Watch this. And he cannot understand them. So the world cannot understand our truth. And our truth... My friend, every day is under attack. It's under attack in your own thinking first. 
So when you turn the TV in or you go to your mobile device and you watch and you're drawn into YouTube and social media and platforms of that nature and you're listening to the opinions of men and the ideologies and the philosophies, relativism is saying put your truth to one side and go with your gut feeling. Go with your opinion. Well, it's amazing. If you turn on social media this week regarding the, the ra- uh, racism uh, riots that's been going on in, in America, you will find a plethora of opinions. And the truth of all this has somehow been distorted by anarchist, uh, by anarchy, by individualism, by different motives, different agendas, by politics, by people who's been hurt. All this is being thrown into the pot and depending which news feed you read or listen to, you are then persuaded and you can take a particular, uh, particular uh, sorry I can't say, you take on a certain emphasis that other people are driving. It's very dangerous. We need to be taught by words that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Despite the gospel bearing fruit throughout the world, the nations still lie in darkness. Despite our nations, despite the nations of the world bearing fruit and the gospel growing, the nations at large still lie in darkness. Despite wonderful preaching on a Sunday, despite the the worship that churches supply, despite the resources that are created, the books, the albums, all, despite all this, there is ignorance in the church. There is ignorance in the church. The church in many ways is clever at giving the appearance that it's different from the world. It's very clever at telling people it's got the light, it's got the message but really the fruit of all that is whether you see lives being changed. And while I, See, when a person comes to Christ, a, person, a person's life is forgiven and that's one stage of transformation. But then what about sin's habits and sin's nature? That's a different thing now. Now, asking you, the believer, to put down your cross... So you put down your nets, pick up your cross, follow Christ, change your habits, change your nature, change your thinking, live a life that is worthy of the gospel is a very, very different message altogether. Bringing someone to the truth and, and establishing someone in the truth are two different things entirely. But churches are very clever at painting this picture that everybody in the church now is all transformed because of this one message. Oh, how I wish that was true. But the evidence does not tell us that at all. However, watch this. <clears throat> Two spirits one truth. Remember this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Two spirits, one truth. Two spirits, one truth. One is fake, one is real. 2 Corinthians 4. Why do I say fake? Because, the angel, because Satan comes as an angel of light, trying to appear like he's telling you the truth. But he's not true because there's no light in him. Why? Because the Bible says he's been a liar from the beginning. However, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age. Now, who is the God of this age? It's the spirit of lies. It's Satan. 
The God of this age. There is a God of this modern age. Now when I read the God of this age in my Bible, notice it doesn't give it a capital G. It gives it a lowercase g. Why? So it's not referring to the Lord God. It's talking about somebody who's trying to elevate themselves. Now when we read in Ezekiel, uh, I think it's Ezekiel or Isaiah, it says, Satan says, I will become like the Most High. I will, I will, I will. And he's trying to be this God that he was never created to be. So he's no different in this world. He appears like an angel of light trying to, to give you the impression that he's the capital G when he's not the capital G at all. He's a fake. Watch this. He has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So he has power. Oh, yes. But he's not the capital G. He has power. To, uh, to uh, blind the minds. Why the minds? Why do you think the minds? Because the mind is the most important thing. You know, when we look at the systems of this world, and one of those systems is education. And from education, every other domain and every other strata of society is invaded by education. And it's influenced by education. Because education is the mind. It's the creative box. It's where seeds are sown. So what does he do? He blinds the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Who is the image of God. So he blinds them so they cannot see the light and the truth. Because light exposes darkness. And they cannot see the truth. So... The God of this world has blinded the minds. The minds is the most powerful thing. And when we look at social media, you see how the minds of people have been blinded. And each one's telling you, this is the unbridled version of the truth. This is my version, my blog, my message is different from everybody else's. I've got the truth. But when you realize, when you taste it, it's the same ingredients coming from the rest of the world. Why? It's just another man's view. But yet it's presented like it's the truth. Now, so we see there is a God of this modern age. And then there is the capital G. The God who gives us his spirit. And his spirit gives us understanding of what is and what is not truth. Why? Because to see truth, my friend, you need light. Light gives us understanding and entrance into the dimensions of God and into the mind of God. So go to Ephesians chapter 6 and let's look at verse 12. So the God of this modern age, the God of this modern age, the lowercase g, is called Lucifer or he's called uh, a liar, a deceiver, Satan. He's got many different names for different emphasis what he, what he plays throughout scripture, but he ultimately is a liar. Now, he's not called Jehovah, he's not called Elohim. Why? Because that's capital G. That's capital G. Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle, watch this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's interesting. You would think in this time of riots and unrest and civil uh, disobedience, it looks like it's a battle against flesh and blood. No, let me tell you this. The nations are in rage. And why are they in rage? Because the powers above are manipulating the actions and the philosophies on the ground. 
Spirits rule over territories and over nations. This is, of this there is, there is no uh, doubt. This is why the Holy Ghost in you and me must be able to speak over into things that are trying to bring chaos on the ground. Because our truth is greater than the anarchy and the chaos and the despair and the, the pain and the hurt and the segregation that's going on, on the ground. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But watch this. It is against rulers. Now, that doesn't mean the government. Rulers. Rulers where? Let's finish, let's finish reading this. Against the authorities. Now, most people would stop there in this civil unrest. Their fight is against the rulers and authorities. But let's read on and see what it's saying. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood. The rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. We must understand that our battle is a spiritual battle, not a flesh and blood battle. Now, if everyone could just understand that principle on its own, there would be no civil unrest. First of all, we take care of matters in the heavenly realms. Then we have to stand on the ground when those things up in the air have been dealt with. Because if you deal with spiritual matters in the heavenly realms, you will find that the, the obstacles on the ground begins to subside once you've dealt with the issues in the air. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's so important that we understand it's not against flesh and blood. But yet we, we see flesh and blood has become a big issue right now on planet Earth. Now, this week, during those riots, we have seen rulers and authorities and spiritual forces seriously affect the nation and bring in destabilization to the nation of America. And if not controlled, it will seek to bring destabilization across the nations of the world. Now, remember, there's a message here and there is an issue here that needs to be fought. But how we fight it is the key issue. How we fight it is the key issue because it's, our warfare is not against flesh and blood but against rulers in the heavenly realm. So what goes on up there determines how things play out on here. So the ideologies and the, and the philosophies and the, the uh, obstruction of truth paves the way for spirits to begin to rule and dominate and manipulate the minds of people. And that's why people do these things, because the minds of the unbelievers have been blinded to see the truth. Wow. So, let's go to John chapter 12. Now, society refuses this truth because this truth reveals Jesus Christ. Society, uh, should say, society resists the truth because of the person that it reveals. And the one who it reveals says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go to John 12, 30, start picking up at verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miracles, signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Why? Because the God of this age 
has, been, has blinded the minds of people. So even when Jesus has performed a miracle, people still don't believe. Let's pick up verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let's just pause it there for a second. Truth has to be revealed somewhere to someone in someone's generation. When that truth is revealed, then the beginning of a relationship, the beginning of access into the dimensions of God are open to them. But to those who don't, don't know this, who have never been re- uh, introduced to Jesus Christ, they still lie in darkness. So let's pick it up. The prophet's saying, he's prophesying of the future. He's got enough light in his spirit to prophesy that Jesus would come in the future. So watch what he says. He has blinded the eyes. Watch this. Let's pick up verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and would be healed. Wow. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So what he was saying, when he spoke that word, some captured the light of what he was sharing and they began to believe. But watch this, watch this, watch their, watch their response now. <clears throat> Isaiah said this because he, Jesus saw the glory and spoke about him. Verse, verse 42, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogues. Fear, the opinions of man, the philosophies and the ideologies of men were creating enough resistance on the ground to stop others from professing the faith. It's amazing. There's always something in life that will stop you from sharing your truth. So right now you may be young, you may be in a classroom, you may be at university, and public debate begins to open up, and you've got an opinion. But don't forget, you're living in a post-truth culture, you're living in the midst of relativism. Now, your opinions are not popular right now, the moment you start speaking about social issues. Your opinions won't necessarily be embraced by everybody. But at that point, do you risk standing up and saying something? Or do you let the fear of their opinions shut you down? Now, watch this. It's better to look a fool for a minute and say something that everyone doesn't agree with or laughs than to look like a fool for the rest of your life because you never had the, the bottle to stand up and say something. You can look a fool for a minute or you can look a fool for a lifetime by not standing up. Now in a postmodern culture, people will sit down and keep their peace because they're afraid of being attacked. But at some point, if the gospel is to grow and to bear fruit, it must bear fruit in you and me. Wow. That puts the onus on you and me. At some point, you're going to have to give an account of the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point in your life, you're going to have to give people a reason for the hope that lies within you. Wow. And you're going to have to do this by the spirit of truth. You're going to have to stand up and say, Holy Ghost, give me the words. 
Help me to speak the truth. Help me to bring these people into understanding. Why? Because people don't have a seatbelt on. And you've, got a, you've got a seatbelt on that keeps you safe because you've got the truth. But they don't have a seatbelt on and they're heading in for disaster. Wow. Let's pick it up. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. So now he's involving the Father. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. That's the Father. I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Light gives us understanding. Understanding the world does not have. But you have it. And, and this, this light gives us a clarity that the world does not have. And therefore they don't understand and will never promote your message or my message. That's fine. It's our message to promote, not theirs. In this week's media, we have seen unprecedented chaos. We've seen civil protests, riots, marches taking place. This is done because people believe in the freedom of speech and to get their message across. And yet in the midst of all this, like I've already said, there is a message but has been smothercated by individual agendas. Chaos. Darkness. we even seen the president, the president of the United States, who I affectionately call the Mad King. He was pictured holding a Bible in his hand. Now that drew a lot of media attention towards uh, Mr. Trump. And that, that Bible is a symbol of truth. I'm not quite sure what the president, I'm not sure whether he realized what he had in his hand and the power of it. Oh, I, I know he understood what he was holding, but I don't think he understands the power behind those pages. And I say that because... A reporter asked him later on, and I found it quite fascinating. They said, uh, Mr. President, can you tell us the favorite, uh, why, why, why the Bible? Why did you hold that Bible? Well, you know, as Mr. Trump does, well, you know, uh, I think the Bible is a fascinating book. It's my favorite book of all, and, uh, and it sounds great and wonderful. Keep going. And thank God that a, pre a president has a Bible in his hand. Thank God for that first. But I want to make a point here. He's holding his Bible and they're asking him, Mr. President, why the Bible? Well, it's my favorite book. Of, you know, I don't believe there's a greater book I've ever read that, is, that speaks like this book. And you think, great, that's really good, Donald. Keep speaking, keep speaking. Then they ask him the next question. So he set himself up here. Then they say to him, well, Mr. President, can you tell us what your favorite book is or what your favorite passage? To which Mr. President turns back and goes, well, well, I don't really want to talk about that because, you know, this, the Bible is something very private and it's very personal and uh, I really don't want to go on record and, and open that part. Whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. There's the first mistake. So many Christians act like Mr. Trump. They're happy to hold the Bible. They're happy to hold it and take it to a church. They're happy to say it's a book that can change the world. The issue is, do you open the Bible and do you let the Bible read you? 
Do you know this truth in such a way that it's transformed your life? If you can't open a Bible and tell somebody what your favorite passage is, that's because you really don't know. And that's because you're not reading the scriptures and the scriptures are not reading you. It was a wonderful opportunity for a photo shot. It was a wonderful opportunity to, to promote his uh, campaign. Like I say, I would rather have him hold the Bible than any other book. But the issue is, I thought... His actions actually demonstrated much of what the church is doing today. They're happy to hold a Bible, but that's all it is. They're happy to hold a Bible. Well, it's not a question of whether he has read the Bible. It's whether the issue is, does he really know the truth? And only Mr. President can tell us that. So Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Reading from verse 17, so watch this. So I tell you this, and I insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Watch this. I tell you this, and I insist on it. And so now he's putting, he's putting emphasis, and he's putting a rule in there, that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. In other words, you, must, you and I must no longer live like we did when we didn't know God, when we didn't know Jesus Christ, when we didn't have the light revealed. But now you do. Now now everything changes. Watch this. In the futility of their thinking. The thinking is the issue. The thinking is the issue because behind thinking is people's behavior. Watch this. They are darkened in their understanding And they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Wow. There's the depravity of mankind. Starts in their thinking. They think, and as they think, they see things, they have desires, and they move towards the desires. And these desires, the moment they touch them, it sets off a chain reaction, and it brings them to a place called spiritual death. And there is no end to their indulgence. Because why? Their opinions now of what truth is, is now dependent upon how it makes them feel. But it started with a thought. So watch this. In every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more, you, however, did not know, you did not come to know Christ this way. Surely you heard of him who was taught, who, and, and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. The truth and Jesus go together. The, the Father sends the Son. The Son points to the Father. The Father and Son are in relation to one another. The Spirit of Truth is released to point to Jesus, to point to the Father. The three of them are all in one, pointing you to the truth. Now these three live inside you. You must now point others to that same truth. Watch this. I came across some quotes this week, which I thought were were very uh, apt for where we are right now in our subjects of Spirit of Understanding. And it says this by Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said this, Truth is so obscure nowadays 
and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. Wow. Truth is so obscure nowadays. And lies are so well established that unless we love, and there's the issue, love truth. A lot of Christians listen to truth, but they don't love truth. Love, that's like holding the Bible under your hand, listening to truth. But the one who loves it, let scripture read them. Why? Because their heart loves truth. So it wants scripture to speak to them. But the one who likes to listen to truth will read a Bible, but the Bible never reads them. And he says, it's so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. And then A.W. Tozer, that wonderful writer, said this. I don't want the world, watch this, I don't want the world to define God for me. I don't want the world to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal God to me. Wow. Now there's a man who loves the truth. I don't want the world. I don't want social media. I don't want the projections, the opinions of, of the world. I don't want Sky News, Fox News, CNN. I don't want all them to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is the spirit of truth. He must define this world for you. Don't let the world, don't let the opinions, the image, don't conform to this. Don't let that image conform you to its own pattern. Because this world is going is, is to be destroyed. But you, my friend, must not be destroyed by this world and its opinions. So, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing truth and spirit, in spiritual words. Your words and voice are needed in this moment. You know, the, world, the world's truth carries a wisdom and understanding of its own. And as we've already seen, it elevates itself above God and his word. However, whereas God's word, not only is it eternal, but it stands firm in the heavens. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 119, 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal and it stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. So there's been a word. This truth has been settled in the heavens. The highest in the courts of heaven, this word called truth is the highest order. So everything on the ground has to come to this level. So when we hear that we're in a post-truth society, though society has tried to elevate itself above the truth, it hasn't. Why? Because the truth is still holding society to account. The truth is what will judge this world. No human court will judge God. I'm sure they will try. It'd be interesting to know whose name they're going to swear on. When they come to testify, I'd, speak, I'd say to speak the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me, who? Oh God. Yet a world that does not look to the truth of God, but yet wants people, its subjects, to swear to that truth. Hmm. Isn't that an oxymoron? Isn't that a dilemma? But God's word, the courts of heaven will hold man and this world to account. How? To the highest order, to the word that's been settled in the heavens. Watch this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. 
Now to you who believe this stone is precious. Oh yes he is. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. See, this stone, this capstone, this truth is above all and everything. He makes men, he causes men to stumble. Watch. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, but you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because you've been brought into the truth, you can declare his praises. And by declaring his praises, you can bring others into the same truth that you yourself have been brought into. Last scripture before I make my final point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, of this age, this modern age, if you think you're wise by the standards of this age, he should, they should become a fool. So that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Wow. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. All the truth is yours. Whether Paul or Apostle, Cephas or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. In other words, don't chase this preacher. Don't chase that pastor. Don't change this. That's not our emphasis. They're all yours. Listen to them. Enjoy them. That's not the issue. The issue is don't become wise in the eyes of the world. Whether Paul or Apostle, uh, sorry, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or this present future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. You know, truth is a seatbelt. Truth is a seatbelt. When I get into my car, I put a seatbelt on. And seatbelt has a truth all on its own. What do we mean by that? Well, car manufacturers, scientists have run their tests over many, many years and they have a truth and they have facts that tell us drivers are safer with the seatbelt on than without. But immediately, individual drivers elevate their own opinion above that truth and those facts. How do we know this? Well, how many drivers are getting pulled over and are receiving fines for not wearing their seatbelts? Now, you can't keep saying, well, I forgot, officer, I forgot. No, 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 you know, we all know we've lived in a society now, in a culture that advertises the perils of not wearing a seatbelt. And the benefits of wearing a seatbelt. But the moment you get in your car, your opinion, and how that seatbelt makes you feel. Does it make me feel uncomfortable or not? All these things come into play. And immediately, many, many drivers elevate their own opinions above the law. And above the truth and the facts and the wisdom that says, you're safer with it than you are without it. 
That's the truth, my friend. When God speaks and tells you about his truth, he's saying you're better with it than you are without it. So we seek truth and facts and wisdom. We see that when drivers ignore this wisdom, do you know what happens? Accidents happen. Consequences. Oh, and death. Now when death is the final lesson to teach us, don't you think it was a bit too late? Don't you think that was a bit too late to have learned that lesson, that the power of truth was wisdom and understand, sorry, wisdom and, and, and facts and truth tell us you're better with a seatbelt than you are without it. When God tells you his standards, he's saying this is your seatbelt to keep you safe, to walk in prosperity, to have a good life. But the moment you ignore my seatbelt rules then eventually death will find you at some point. You can run the gauntlet, but at some point you will die. And then after that, the judgment. So the seatbelt gives us, watch this, the seatbelt truth and wisdom and facts gives the driver certain assurances. It gives us promises that if you wear this seatbelt, you lower the risk of potential damage. Now there's other people on the road who are driving recklessly. Even some are driving not so reckless, but accidents happen. But when it happens, it brings a consequence to your life and to my life if we don't have a seatbelt on. This is the same with God's standards. In a postmodern relative world, it says you don't need a seatbelt. We're all safe. It's okay. We're not going to crash. We're not going to die. Oh, but we are. Now, every car has in its dashboard, well, not say every car, my car, I drive a modern car. When I get in my car and I start the engine and I start driving over five miles an hour, I hear this ping, 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 ping. It's reminding me, get your seatbelt on. Get your seatbelt on. Now, the first thing, if I ignore that warning, I'm in trouble. But if I put it on straight away... I eradicate the danger, I turn the alarm off, and I'm back in safe mode. The moment I walk out of God's truth, the Holy Spirit starts to remind me instantly, Tony, where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking like that. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, if I turn that voice off, I open my life to potential danger and consequences. Had I listened to that voice and obeyed, it would keep me safe. Friends, this morning I want to say this to you. I don't know what life you've been living, but I know there's many people through this camera who have turned the warning, bell, uh, the warning off on your car and you've been ignoring the signs of the Holy Spirit. You've been ignoring his alarm bells in your life. You keep pushing life to the end. You keep running this life of yours, knowing that you are no longer listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And this morning I want to arrest you. Come back to seatbelt truth. Get the seatbelt on. Reduce the risk and the consequences in your life. Come back to God's truth. Submit to his truth. Submit to his life. Get your life back in the seatbelt, behind the seatbelt, because that's the safest place for you and I to be. Don't be like the rest of the world. So I want you to bow your heads this morning.
And I want you to raise your hands with me because I'm going to pray this week that the Holy Ghost is going to touch your life right now. He's going to arrest you in the area where you've been hearing the alarm bells going off and you've been ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. So right now, Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for the depths and the clarity that this truth is going to. Father, I pray right now, expose every soul, every heart, every motive, every agenda. Father, of everybody listening to this message, I arrest I arrest carelessness right now in the name of Jesus. I arrest ignorance right now. I arrest disobedience in Jesus' name right now. And I speak to you right now and I say, submit to the ways of God. Surrender your life to Jesus. Get back behind the seatbelt where you belong. And begin to let the Holy Ghost steer your life where you were always designed to do. Or what he was always designed to do. I pray that you prayed this prayer. And if you have... Write to us, let us know, go on the website, let us know. And until then, until next week, I say stay behind the seatbelt of truth. Stay behind that car, stay behind that life, stay behind the word and let God's blessing come upon your life. Until then, God bless you, take care.